0: Today, We're going to be in the Gospel of Mark. We've been in Mark, uh, this will be at our, our fifth week in the Gospel of Mark, and we're, we're 28 verses deep. And so what's been happening is that Mark has been compiling all of this information that testifies to who Jesus is, so that we can know the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And so how has this uh, testified to Jesus? Well, right out the gate we get uh, information about John the Baptist. And we talked about how John the Baptist's ministry was so radically famous in Israel in this time. If you go back and and look at material from this time, you find more uh, more information about John the Baptist as far as written material than you would Jesus uh, because his ministry was so famous during this time. And so John the Baptist, he testified to who Jesus was. The son of God. That's a a really big deal. I don't know that you and I can fully appreciate the the magnitude of the fact that John the Baptist testified to who Jesus was as the son of God. Well, then we learn from Mark that the Holy Spirit testifies to who Jesus is, right? Jesus is baptized and the Holy Spirit descends upon Jesus like a dove. Then we see that God the Father testifies as to who Jesus is. When an audible voice from heaven is heard saying, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. Then in addition to those testimonials, you could argue that Satan even testified to who Jesus was. Now, uh, we know that Jesus, we know from Mark that Jesus was driven into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit to be tempted by Satan. And when we take into, the, uh, take into account the other gospels, Matthew and Luke, and we see just how Jesus was tempted by Satan, we can see very clearly that Satan was tempting him for the reason uh, that he, he was the son of God. He wanted to, he wanted to uh, diminish that. He wanted to ruin that. And of course, we know that Jesus passed those trials in the wilderness as he fasted for 40 days. And then it's very clear in Mark, though, that a demon even testified as to who he was, Right? When Jesus is in the synagogue at Capernaum, he's preaching. They were astonished at his teaching. And then he drove the, the demon out of the man who contests him. Right, And th- this man what, who's possessed by a demon, what does he say? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And so just 28 verses into Mark, we have all of these different testimonials. And now we're getting into a portion of Mark that's going to emphasize the miracles and the teachings of Jesus. And the miracles also testify to who Jesus was. Remember we talked about how that is is—that is the purpose of a miracle. It's a sign. So those signs prove that Jesus was who he said he was. Those signs Proved or validated the message that he preached, that gospel message. And so he, people were so astonished at the authority that he taught with, right? Remember that verse? He taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. As in he's, he's not teaching second-hand theology here. He's, he's saying astonishing things. You've heard it said this, but I say this. He was making bold statements, Some statements that were offensive, they were hard to process. But when they were accompanied by these signs and wonders, it validated. This is a certified messenger of God. Certainly what he says is true. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. So he taught with an authority you could hear. But he also taught with an authority that you could see. As he he commanded the demon to leave that man And it did. It obeyed him. So they were astonished at all of this. And so now we're getting more into these miracles and what they did in the life and ministry of Jesus. It's no wonder that his fame spread everywhere and uh, seeing all this authority accompanied by these signs. So we're going to pick up at verse 29 today if you have your Bibles. 29 through 31 to get started. This is a a paragraph entitled, Jesus Heals Many. So let's get started. It says, and immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. Okay, so last week, Jesus is in Capernaum. That's the northern part of Israel. He's in the town that Peter's from. Remember, Simon's name is going to be Peter. So I, I, I say Peter more than I, may, than I say Simon because we know him as Peter. And so I just, in my brain, I just I talk about Peter, and I, I'm not using the name that's immediate in the immediate text. Uh, but Peter lives in Capernaum. Okay, and so the synagogue is right next to his house. So this is the same day that we were talking about last week. Jesus was teaching, he cast out the demon, it's on the Sabbath day, and now they're headed to Peter's house for lunch, and they interact with uh, Peter's mother-in-law there. Now, As I mentioned last week, I read through a lot of different commentaries and things and I like to look at different facts and and different uh, studies and archeological digs and things like that. And one thing that almost every single commentary mentioned last week is that these two structures are still there. And so if you go to Israel and take a tour today, if you wanted to go see the synagogue in Capernaum, you could go there. There's a new synagogue built on the foundation. Of this synagogue but you can actually go there and within a stone's throw away from this synagogue is Peter's house so you can literally go visit this synagogue or where it would be and where Peter's house would have been the foundation is still there and so it, now anytime you think about one of these uh, spots in Israel we have to wonder like how confident are they that this is the actual spot. Like we're we're more confident in some places than others when you do the tour over there, which I've never done. It's it's on my bucket list. I'll let you know when I win the lottery and get over there. <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah, when you when you like we know where the temple's at. We're real confident the foundation uh, where the foundation of that is in different places. Um, but wh- whenever you whenever it comes to this particular synagogue. And whenever it comes to Peter's house, evidently there's a tremendous amount of evidence. So this is one of those spots in Israel that they are really, really confident. This really is the place where the synagogue was. And this really is where Peter's house was. And there's a tremendous amount of evidence to support that. And so if I ever get the chance to go to Israel, I'm going to go to Peter's house. That's happening. That's, I want to go poke around. I'm a huge fan. Um, I love talking and teaching about Peter. So they get there anyway, they're they're going to uh, Peter's house after the Sabbath worship at the synagogue, and they find his mother-in-law is ill with a fever, and so Jesus heals her. Now, this is one of those moments, again, we talk about the gospel parallels, right? Sometimes there's moments in the gospels that the, the story is in every single gospel, Sometimes there's a moment in which it's just in two Gospels, or it's just in one, or it's, you know, any combination. So this is one of those moments that you can find the same moment, uh, as we're reading about right here in Mark. You can find it in Matthew chapter 8, or you can go to Luke chapter 4, and we're told and taught about this same exact moment. The account of this healing of, of Peter's mother-in-law is in all three of those Gospels. And so it says that he rebukes her fever, though, in in Luke's gospel. If you went to Luke 4 and and read this same story, it says that Jesus rebukes her fever. And so it's interesting. Again, if you want to know what's really being talked about here, you got to go study that Greek. And, And so I love to study, like, Greek scholars and see what they have to see about the text. So the word for fever, evidently, is this really broad term. So when you say that someone had a fever, That can mean a number of things. Like the, when you, uh, as a matter of fact, that same Greek word could describe someone who's lit on fire. Right? So when you say someone had a, a fever, if you're using that one Greek word, it could mean that they're literally on fire. Or it could be referring to them having a high temperature. Or it was also used in a slang way. Uh, sometimes if someone was possessed by a demon, you would describe them in this way. The same word that says someone has a fever. So it's interesting then in Luke's gospel that he that he rebukes the fever. Well, that leads a lot of scholars to believe that this is actually another moment in which he's casting out a demon. That Peter's mother-in-law doesn't have a temperature. Peter's mother-in-law is possessed by a demon. So a lot of scholars take that position with this particular story. So, fellas, you, your, your mother-in-law, if she's not feeling well, she could just be under the weather. <laughs> there could be something else going on. <laughs> there could be a demon in there. Maybe Peter is experiencing a, an amount of relief here that we can't fully appreciate. <laughs> like, meet my mother-in-law, Jesus. <laughs> See if she has a demon. <laughs> I jest. I love my mother-in-law. Uh, I have to say that to protect myself right now. Oh, that's funny. So, here's what we need to think about, though, when we're talking about miracles in Scripture they are instantaneous and they're discernible. Those are two really important words, I think, when we're talking about Jesus exercising these sign miracles or when the apostles do a sign miracle. They are instantaneous and they are discernible. Those are two really, really important things for us to think about. And so in an instant, she goes from either demon possession or suffering from a fever to being completely healthy and energized to the point in which she gets up and serves them. You think when your fever finally breaks, we all know what it's like to, to have a fever. When your fever finally breaks, you're exhausted. It's a relief, but you're just like, you're drained of all of your energy. But she gets up and serves them. She, she feels better immediately and energized in that moment. It was an instantaneous miracle. And it was very discernible to those around them that she was certainly healed. So there was no spell. There was no potion, right? Right? He didn't repeat a phrase over and over and over and over again. Jesus didn't try really, 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 really hard and the miracle just barely happened. That's not what we see. What we see when we study the miracles of Jesus is that they are instantaneous. They are discernible. He would speak and the miracle would happen. That's important for you and I to understand. And so word was traveling fast because these instantaneous discernible miracles were taking place and they accompanied his teaching. Word had traveled fast since that moment at the synagogue. Now he's had this moment at Peter's house with his mother-in-law and people there are no doubt spreading the word. Here's what happens next in verses 32 through 34. It says that evening at sundown, They brought to him all who were sick and oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. So we remember this is the same day that he was at the synagogue. But how do they think about days that's different than how we think about days? We covered this last week too. I think it's worth mentioning. So when they thought of the next day, the day in in Jewish terms in that time, it would start in the evening at sundown. That was the beginning of the next day. And so Sabbath would begin, according to our terms, their Sabbath would begin Friday night at sundown, and it would last all the way until Saturday night at sundown. But we're just told that evening came and the sun went down, right? So what's that mean? The Sabbath is over. And so, what happens immediately after the ending of that Sabbath day is that people are rushing to get to Jesus. Because when you're following Sabbath rules, those were important. You couldn't just do anything on the Sabbath, it was a day of rest and a day of worship. Those two things were allowed. You were only allowed so many things after that. You couldn't just go, you, you could only travel so far and, and do certain things. And so, once evening came, the Sabbath was over. So, everybody's like, hey, We can travel. The Sabbath rules don't apply right now because it's not the Sabbath anymore. Let's get to Jesus. And you can't blame them, right? If you're living in that time and you know someone who is suffering from an ailment or is paralyzed or, you know, they they need help, you you would rush to get to Jesus. And so that's what's happening. The entire community is trying to get to Jesus to experience more of these miracles. And Jesus was... Exercising the sign gift of healing. So you and I have a lot to process here. So when you and I study the Bible and we learn about the gospel of Jesus and we see how things unfold in Scripture, we have to to process what's happening in our time too, right? We use the Bible to discern the Christian faith. We use the Bible to discern Christian claims in in our culture, right? We don't want to use our experiences in Christian claims to discern the Bible. That would be backwards. We want to use the Bible to discern Christian claims. That's what we mean when we say that the Bible is authoritative, that the Bible is God's word, and it's our authority for life and living and processing and learning our, uh, our, what we believe. And so in our time, there are still a lot of people who claim to have the gift of healing, There are a lot of people who claim to have and be able to exercise this sign gift of healing uh, just like Jesus exercised it, just like the apostles did it in in the book of Acts. And so what do you and I do? How do How do we deal with that? Do you ever get in one of those moments in which someone makes a claim and you have to process that claim and decide whether that claim is true or false and then sometimes you just don't want to say anything because maybe you don't agree or, or whatever it may be. But regardless, you have to discern what's, what's taking place. And so I have a lot of people from time to time that will come to me and say, well, I, I was at this church and they claimed uh, this person had the gift of healing and they claimed this person was healed and so on and so forth. Is that true? How can I tell if something is real or 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 what what, what claims are being made, how do I discern these things? And so I tell everybody the same thing. You always wanna use your your Bible. You wanna use your Bible and you wanna use prayer to discern these things when they are told to you. What does healing look like in scripture? What What does the gift of healing, the sign gift of healing look like in the life of Jesus? What does it look like in the life of the apostles. And when we do that, we see an array of healings take place, right? We see uh, demons being cast out of people, we see uh, diseases instantly being cured, we see the, the blind receiving sight, we see people who are mute, given a voice, we, we see people who are deaf being instantly and discernibly given the, the gift or the ability to hear. We'll see next, or, well not next week, the week after next, we'll get to uh, a moment in which Jesus heals a man with leprosy. And so we, we see other moments where Jesus uh, will be healing people with lifelong paralysis. And of course, he raised someone from the dead. That happened with the apostles too. That, that's a big one, don't forget that one. That's a pretty, uh, pretty amazing healing, right? They were instantaneous and they were discernible. It seems like today there's a big emphasis uh, with people who claim to be faith faith healers, right? They'll emphasize healings like from migraines and and lower back pain, and and so those those are difficult to discern. Anyone in here can claim that they have a headache. Anyone can claim to have lower back pain. I I claim that all the time, (laughs) personally, Uh, but it's hard to discern, right? You have to take someone's word for it and observe them over time and things like that, but... But when Jesus and his apostles exercised this sign gift of healing, man, there were some big-time, big-time moments of healing. And so we want to make sure that we use that as the standard, though, okay? I have a lot more to say about this, but we want to make sure that, that what happened in the life of Jesus, what happened in the life of the apostles, that's the gold standard. That's, how, that's what the gift of healing looks like when someone has it so it's been interesting living in a pandemic, right? Living in the midst of a pandemic in a world full of people who claim to be faith healers. How's that panned out? They have to, they were scrambling, weren't they? They got to save face. And so what, what happened? Well, all sorts of different things happened, um, but you would think in a pandemic that would be their time to shine. You would really be able to notice some very instantaneous and discernible things, would you not? Now, I I want to, I'm trying to grow up as a preacher and and mature as I preach. And so I'm trying to, I want to be as respectful as I possibly can. I'm not trying to put on a comedic act. I'm not trying to be rude. I have a heart to protect people from liars and swindlers, okay? And there are a tremendous amount of people in our culture and in our time who claim to be Christian and they are lying about it. They're they're claiming to be teachers and they are swindlers. They are trying to they're trying to take your money. They're trying to manipulate you emotionally. They're they're trying to do all of these things not for the glory of God. They're trying to do these things for selfish gain. That is a fact. That is a reality. And so I do think it's so important that as we go into a season of study about miracles. And if we as we go into a season of studying with the sign what this sign gift of, of healing looks like in the life of Jesus, that we give that the respect that it deserves, but that we also use that to discern claims in Christianity in the time in which we live, right? There was a tremendous amount of lying under the guise of Christianity. So most notably, what happened in our, our culture in, in the beginning of the pandemic, um, what, one of the most infamous um, false teachers in our culture is Kenneth Copeland okay he's made all sorts of claims that we know for sure are just false he has been caught in so many so many bad bad lies he claims to be a prophet of God he claims to be a faith healer but I just want you to take a moment to discern some of his claims even as of as of late recently since the pandemic what did he do when the, when the pandemic broke loose? He, he was on national televis, television claiming to be a faith healer, t- claim, claiming to be a prophet of God, and he claimed to end the pandemic in April of 2020, and so what did he do? He, he's on national television, he, and he, he famously blew the wind of God, and he physically blew air towards the camera, and then he spit at the camera. And said he was healing you. Okay, he made a claim that the pandemic is over, and he made these claims in the name of God, taking our faith, taking our Savior, and attaching the name to a claim. Be careful when you do that. It better be true. It better be true. He he even he got a big vat of uh, anointing oil and he dipped his hand in it and he held it up to the camera. And he said, touch your hands to my hand on this screen. And he claimed to be able to absorb your COVID 19 into himself and then heal himself. So now you could say, like, Cody, you're just making this stuff up, man. Fact check me on YouTube. Do a little Google search on YouTube today. It's all over the place. And it was all over the place in April of 2020. You, You can't make this stuff up, but he was making these claims. And, of course, he was doing what he always does. He was trying to make money. It works. You know what his net worth is? $800 million. As of today. He's claimed to be a billionaire in the past, but he's worth $800 million. Just, let's just think for a moment. If you could convince Kenneth Copeland to even cough up $50 million, how much actual healing could take place? Even if you could get him to cough up just, just some chump change, just whatever he's got lying around, just 50 million or so. How much actual medicine could get to people who need it? How much research and help could sick people receive? You could, you could help so many people. <laughs> I mean, it's incredible. Uh, but he doesn't do that, does he? He makes all these big claims, and he claims to be a prophet of God and claims to heal people. But nothing instantaneous and discernible ever happens. You think, now, Cody, you better be careful, buddy. You're sounding pretty judgmental right now. You're kind of sounding like a jerk. Well, uh, you might say, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are to stand up there and say that he's doing something wrong? Who do you think you are? How can you determine that he is saying something false? Well, that's easy. Just a little bit of common sense. In April of 2020, he claimed that the pandemic was over. How much common sense does it take us to determine if that is a true statement or a false statement? That was, he was just getting warmed up. April of 2020, right? That that claim was false. So a person who claims to be a prophet and then is proven to be false in the Bible, that's called a false prophet. What do they do with false prophets in the Bible? Well, I'll, you go back and study what they did to false prophets in the Bible, it's not good. It was it was frowned upon, to say the least. That is the epitome of false teaching. When you claim, when you make claims like those, and try to convince people they're healed when they're not, does it get any lower? I mean, can you think of a way that someone could be a scumbag any worse than that? Telling someone that they're healed when they're not healed, and then taking their money on top of that? I got no sympathy. I don't even think he's a Christian at all. I'll be that judgmental. I really don't. Because in the Bible, when we, see, when we see someone who has the gift of healing, the Holy Spirit-driven gift of healing, it's always instantaneous and it's always discernible. When Kenneth Copeland makes those claims and they pan out like that, the only thing that's instantly discernible is that he's false. He's a false teacher. That's what's instantly discernible. I don't have the gift of healing. Man, I wish I did. If I had the gift of healing, I'd make a beeline out those doors and go to the children's hospital probably first. But I don't have it. I I can't do it. Um, It's interesting you don't see any faith healers there. you think that's where they'd be. But I I don't have that gift, but I want to clear up some confusion because any time... A well meaning pastor tries to talk about false teachers or false prophets or, or what the gift of healing looks like in scripture. Denying that someone has the sign gift of healing, like in, in Acts and in, and in the Gospels, denying that someone has that today doesn't mean that we deny that there are miracles and healings today. That's one of the most, that's one of the biggest misconceptions. And so denying that someone has uh, the sign gift of healing is not. Denying that miracles happen today. So I've been in situations in which people are about to die. And I've prayed for them desperately with their families. And they make a recovery miraculously. I've witnessed it with my own two eyes. We have prayed just desperately for people to be healed. And they do recover. They are healed beyond what doctors can even explain. That does not mean any of us have the gift of healing. Okay. I've prayed for people with all sorts of different ailments from cancer to colds, and I've seen situations in which they are healed. In an incredible amount of times sometimes even. That does not mean I have the gift of healing. That means we pray for people and the and the, the power of prayer is real. And that people are healed. God does sovereignly choose to heal some And not others. There's been many times in which I've prayed desperately for people to survive. And they didn't. There's been times in which I've desperately prayed for people to be healed of an ailment or a sickness. And they get worse. But when Jesus exercised those sign gifts, like the sign gift of healing, it was special. And the Bible tells us that those moments are in there for a very specific reason. They fulfilled Old Testament prophecy. That's how, that's how you and I are able to use our Bibles and verify that Jesus is who he says he is. That century, sometimes like 800 years before Jesus was even on the scene, we see a prophecy, a messianic prophecy, describing these specific things to look for in order to identify the Messiah when he would come. And so when Jesus came proclaiming this gospel message, What accompanied him were these sign gifts that were prophesied centuries and centuries and centuries before he was there. And it certified him as the Messiah. He was the Christ. So here's what I think, though, is a glaring monumental difference between modern day claims of faith healing and Jesus and the apostles in the Old Testament. Here's what I think the biggest difference is. Whenever you see faith healing take place today, uh, and, and people claiming to do these things and, and these prophets, there's an overemphasis on the material and temporal. It's, it's all about the miracle. And so, just like when Kenneth Copeland gets up there to make a big show and a big production, literally a big production, nationwide production of what he's doing, the emphasis is on the miracle. And, of course, the payday that comes right after that for him. But even when he'll preach and he'll teach, a lot of times people who run in these circles, they'll emphasize the success that you can have in your life right now, the change that you can have instantly right now. You can stop being so miserable today. You can build your treasures here. Lord knows that is exactly what he's doing. Kenneth Copeland is building a massive treasure here But the difference between him and what happened with the apostles and Jesus is that the apostles and Jesus, they drew attention away from the miracles. So faith healers today draw attention to the miracles. Jesus and the apostles draw attention away from the miracles and onto the gospel message. Because it wasn't about the miracles. It was about the gospel, the good news that the kingdom of God is at hand. God has come to redeem us. And so the emphasis was so much on the gospel that if Jesus, if he started to sense that the people listening were starting to make it about the miracle, what did he do? He withdrew. He would leave them. If they started to make it about the loaves and the fish, he left. That's exactly what happened after he fed the multitudes. They were making it it all about the miracle. We want more of Jesus so that we can get more fish. We want more Jesus so that we, we can get the things that we want. We want to use him. And Jesus started to sense this. And what does he say? In John 6, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate the, your fill of the loaves. In other words, Jesus was saying to them, you're trying to make it about the miracles and not about the message that validates me as the Messiah. He was so frustrated. He withdrew to the mountain to pray. He just had to get away from them. He was so frustrated with those people. So he's saying, you you saw the sign, but you didn't read it. The purpose of the sign was to teach you something, to tell you that I am the Christ. It was to make much of me, and you missed it. You made it all about the miracle. And he would be so frustrated with them, he would just leave them. That's exactly what happens next. Look at verses 35 through 39. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, there he prayed, And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also for this, for, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. So he got up early in, in the morning the next day to pray, to get away and to, to pray about what he should do next. To be alone with God and and to think through these things. It didn't take long before the lines started to build up. Before people started to show up, come out of the woodwork. They wanted to use Jesus for another miracle. What can we get out of Jesus? What more can we get out of him? So the disciples put together a search party. They're looking for Jesus. Hey, everyone's looking for you. Where are you at? And after prayer, after time with God, begins to discern here that for them it wasn't a About the message, it was becoming more about the miracles, and that's that's not what he came for. He didn't come for the temporary, he came for the eternal. The gospel message was teaching them about the eternal. And so he said, Let's go ahead to the next place. And so he started, he 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 wouldn't stick around, he would, he would keep going before it became about the miracles, he would leave and spread the gospel message because that is why he came. He didn't come so everybody could have temporary satisfaction. He came so that we could have eternal peace. Why would you? You wouldn't want to trade eternal peace for temporary satisfaction, would you? But yet, yeah, sometimes that's what we do in our approach to Jesus, right? What he accomplished in his life, death, resurrection, and ascension, it was for the eternal. You know, every single person that Jesus healed, you know what happened to them? They died. Even even Lazarus, he raised him back to life. He eventually died again. The people that he gave sight to, the the people he gave a voice to who were mute, the people who were paralyzed, they all eventually, every single one of them, their bodies eventually failed. When I think about all of the people that I've prayed for in the past 20 years or so of ministry, I can think of so many people that were just miraculously healed. It's just just incredible. I can share with you several stories. Several of them have ended up getting sick again and dying. And every single one of us, maybe you have experiences like this. Maybe you're like, hey, I know of several moments in my own family which we prayed for healing, and they're healed. We prayed, and we believe that they are with us today because we prayed and God healed them. And I would say yes and amen, and I would be excited about that, just like you are. But you and I are headed towards death. I mean, my... I, I think my back was healed. God's grace and a surgeon in Columbus. <laughs> my back feels great. And uh, I've made a, a lot of progress when it comes to that, but it's, it's still got an expiration date, right? I, I will die. And we all will. And so if we, if we just come to Jesus trying to get more bread just trying to get more of the miracle and trying to make it everything about right now, we're missing the point of the signs. He came for the eternal. Jesus is not someone to be used. He's someone to be loved. He's someone to be worshiped. He's someone to be served regardless of outcomes in your daily life. Is that the gospel that you believe? Is that the Jesus You worship. Is that the gospel that you want to share with this world? Or do you want to share hope and temporary satisfaction? What Jesus accomplished goes so much further beyond that. We we are assured that we will have peace with God eternally. That's the gospel that we have hope in today. And we are so thankful for those signed gifts that were exercised in the life of Jesus so that we can be assured he was who he said he was. And he allowed his disciples to do those things. Uh, They eventually were known as apostles, right? Because they carried the same authority that he did. I don't believe we have any more of those apostles today. They all died. As a matter of fact, towards the end of their life, if you keep looking in the the New Testament and you look at the latter books of the New Testament, you'll even see where... uh, like Peter will be writing a letter to the church in Ephesus and talking to Timothy and he, he has an ailment. Timothy's he's hurting. He doesn't say, Exercise your sign gift and be healed and you'll be okay the next day. What does he tell him? Drink some wine and relax. It seems like even towards the end of the, the ministry in the New Testament that this, these signs and wonders that exploded in the, in the life of Jesus and the apostles, it seems that they begin to fade away towards the, the chronological timeline when you get towards the latter part of that. God was doing a really special thing, a historic thing, right? It was a historic gospel being preached. We talked about that several weeks ago. And that point in time changed all of time after it. And that's why God did so many special things right there. He still does special things today, but we need to be really careful that we don't get duped by something that isn't special at all. We want to stay focused on the true gospel message of Jesus Christ that he proclaimed. So let's do that today as we go into a time of communion. And focus our hearts and minds on Jesus, our eternal hope. Let's pray. Lord, we're so grateful for the truth of your word. I'm grateful for a time to to sit and discuss and and discern our lives through your word. That's why you've given it to us. You taught with this authority and, and, and you've given your apostles that same authority, that they could live with these signs and wonders until the scriptures were completed. And we could have your apostle, authorized, approved, authoritative word. And Lord, that's what we use now to discern truth. And Lord, we're so thankful that we have your word in order to do that, that we wouldn't be duped, that we wouldn't be taken advantage of. Lord, help us to be a group of people that would help protect others from those who would manipulate and take an advantage take advantage of them we're going to do so in a respectful way in a loving way but lord in an effective way but lord we just want the true gospel to be preached but lord we, we also want to thank you for the ways in which you intervene in a special way and miraculously heal those in our life and and lord there there are so many situations i can think of in my own life that i just prayed for your intervention and it just so obviously happened We thank you for the power of prayer that allows us to uh, see your work in this world right now. Uh, So, Lord, as we go into this time of of communion, I just pray that we would be nourished through uh, the life, death, and resurrection of your son. And, Lord, that we could bask in, in the hope that that brings us to live right now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.